be finishing up chapter 3 of Hebrews, and we'll be preaching from verses 12 through 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but... Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, let us have ears to hear your voice. Let us have ears to hear your word. Father, pour out your spirit, for it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice. Father, let it be that we will hear your word today and that we will be exhorted to hold firmly the confidence of our hope in Jesus Christ. That we would be exhorted to exhort one another so that we would not be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. Help us this day, Father so that we may enjoy that sweet fellowship of your forgiveness, that sweet hope of your kingdom, and that we would enjoy your rest. Help us to stay, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned last week, that as we go through this passage, it's good to always highlight the very first verse of this passage in chapter 3 of Hebrews to be reminded that it is our heavenly calling as seeing Jesus as our big brother for us to continue to look at our big brother, Jesus, for all of our hope. And then verse 6 being the highlight that it is Christ that is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Last week we focused on the testing that the Lord gives us because we are the Lord's people, and how when we are tested, it should be, though it might seem a little odd, it should be an encouragement to us because he doesn't test those that he has no reason to test. that he, He's only going to test those who are his children, those who are called by him. That when I am training my children, I'm training my children. I don't go to other people's houses randomly 
and discipline and train the children of random people, but I have been given the calling and these children are mine and I will test them and I will train them and I will discipline them because I am called to, but because I love them. And because of the promises of the covenant of God toward his people, he also tests us. But inside of that test and inside of that identity that we have in Christ and in that identity that we share because he is our, Jesus is our big brother, we also are called to remember this identity, not just when we are tested, but when we are tempted. And those usually are coming hand in hand. When we are tested, there is temptation. And it is often there what we get to see whether or not we truly believe. Here in this particular passage today, <clears throat> we are told to take care. And he is the writer of Hebrews is going back and he's using actual terminology and words from the very people that he's going to be talking about at the end of this passage because the same admonition was there, is to pay attention, to take care, to put a very focused effort to what is about to be said and what you are about to be called to. And so there is this admonition and exhortation, but he continues in this passage because he knows that we are frail and weak people. He tells us once again and reminds us that we are brothers. Now he is speaking to people who are his brothers by being the people of God, but we know that by the context of Hebrews that he is highlighting and reminding us over and over again that we are sons of God because of the Son of God that we have the great privilege of pointing to Jesus Christ and saying he is our big brother. And just like all brothers, there is the great benefit of the Lord's care as a father and the great inheritance that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And that he has actually purchased and created the path for us that he is calling us to go on. That he has not removed, he's not the big brother that got it easy in the beginning. You know, in most cases in families, usually the older children, they had the rougher path, right? You know, our kids are always complaining. I know I mentioned this, and my kids probably tired of saying this, but they say this at home a lot. They always remind the younger kids of how rough they had it growing up. We had less, we had less opportunities, they had less fun, now we have more things, and dad was probably meaner because he was less mature and so he probably didn't handle things very well and I still don't handle things quite so well and so they the older ones say we've got we have the run of the the whole situation Jesus he didn't just because he's the older brother and the greater brother he actually accomplished everything for us that was required of the children of God and so as we look at him, also in light of our temptation, we must remember that he has already been there and that he has already accomplished not just being able not to fall to temptation, but he's empowered our ability to deal with temptation. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. 
So here we have this calling and this identity as being brothers of Christ, being the children of God, and then immediately there is this, this kind of question. He's, he's laid it out there, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart. You need to take care of thinking about this and, and focus on this, and you must put a lot of attention on this just in case any of you have an evil and unbelieving heart. Does anyone here have any evil or any unbelief in their heart? <laughs> so I think it would apply to all of us. Now, we're not defined by our identity as being evil and unbelieving people because we are those who hope in him. Just as we are not to even be considered, I was, you know, was reading the passage there, that we're not even be, to be considered those who live in the flesh. We are to live by the Spirit. And I, didn't, I was thinking, well, I just told people that we are in the flesh. But we are still here in the flesh, but we are those of the Spirit. But we are still those dealing with evil in our minds and our hearts and unbelief. It should be our prayer that we pray, Lord, I believe... Help my unbelief. That will be a continual prayer of mine all the way into the end, I am sure, as I hope will have some time to contemplate my death before it arrives. Lord, help my unbelief. We are reminded here that we are, ah, excuse me, like in Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, to be watchful, to stand firm in the faith, to act like men, be strong. Here we have this interesting dichotomy between this call and this exhortation to be strong, to be watchful in faith. And if you think about it, that when we are called to have faith, we are having faith in Christ that we are not strong, but that we are weak. That our faith by our own confession of faith, is that we are incapable of being able to be in of ourselves, truly watchful and able to even take care if we understand our doctrine correctly and throughout all of the scriptures, without Christ we are dead. So even in this calling for us to take care, to be watchful, it must be that our faith is that he is going to strengthen us to be able to do so. But look at what is going on here, that this when you who have admitted with me that we have evil and we have an unbelieving heart, that it is that part of our heart that sometimes leads us to fall away, to fall away from a living God. So who is our leader? Who is causing us to be in this state? Well, it is our own very hearts. Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 8 says, to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean into your own understanding. But we also have the call that in, in the proclamation that our hearts are most deceptive of all. So what, how is that possible? How can we trust in the Lord with all of our heart unless there is the renewal of life in Christ? In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Again, we are acknowledging him. It is our faith and our confidence in him, our big brother, and he will make our paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but to fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh 
and a refreshment to your bones. Here we are given the call to simply consider our hearts, consider the faith in our hearts, and to be warned, to be watchful, that there's still a component of our hearts that we will tend to want to be led to that will cause us to lean away from God. This is in the same verbiage that we had earlier on in this series of this drifting. If you remember this sermon on drifting away from God, that whenever we're trusting in our own ways as an opposition, now a lot of times when you think, well, my heart sometimes is divided, and that is true. We see Paul talking about that, that sometimes we're dealing in two different directions because we're still here physically in the flesh and not yet fully glorified. There are part of our hearts at times that are still going to the old man, tempting us and drawing us to lean, to drift away from God. So is it that we are to fully trust in our hearts, like the modern mantra of the day, do as your heart calls you to do, do whatever your heart feels like? Well, no, your heart must be captive to the fear of the Lord, to trusting the Lord. Verse 13, it says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Now this word exhort in the Greek is really a combination of two words. It's this or two ideas. It's this idea of coming along and calling out. So it's coming beside, it's taking the walk together and calling the other person to remember the deceitfulness of sin. So this is an actual command for us. As we consider what Jesus has done for us and who he is, in light of being the brother who has plowed the path for us, and knowing that we are not able even to follow him apart from the power of Jesus Christ, we are called and commanded that for those who are his, For those who have received salvation and have received that identity, that our command and calling is to come along beside each other. Now, one of the other mantras, aside from do whatever your heart leads you to, is that that your faith, that your religion, that your walk with Jesus is just a personal faith. That you really don't have the right to infringe upon other people and tell them what to do. That's kind of the American way. Everybody's free to do as you please. And don't, you know, you do your thing and I do my thing. But that goes totally against what we're commanded is that if we are his, if we do count Jesus as our big brother, we must count all of those who follow after him as our brothers, as the children of God, the siblings of Of God's house. And we are called to come along every day, not just today on Sunday. This should be definitive to our calling. That is what we're here doing now. We are here exhorting and encouraging each other by rejoicing in the Lord together, by praising the Lord together, by pointing to his word, by pointing to Christ, by confessing our sins together, coming to the table together. But this is representative of our full week. That's why we are starting our week here, is that every day we are called to exhort one another, not just to have hope, this idea of hope, or to have faith, this just this idea of faith, 
But we are called to call each other and to exhort each other not to be hardened by sin, by the deceitfulness of sin. And that's another thing that's very definitive for us today, or who the Christian identity today is that we don't like to talk about sin. We don't definitely want to talk to each other about their sin. Got ours to deal with. You know, don't we say, well, didn't Jesus say to take care of the plank in our own eye before we deal with our brothers? So let's just not ever deal with the brothers. And then therefore, we might not even deal with our own <laughs> sins at the same time. We'll just stay in a corner. No, the calling for us is to go to the Lord with our plank and to exhort one another and to encourage each other to go to the same source of that hope, which is Jesus Christ. So think about that a moment, that this is an everyday calling for us, that we are not to allow ourselves to be hardened by all of the mantras of the day, by isolating ourselves, not just away from one another, but ultimately from Christ. But if we are in Christ, and he is our big brother, that we are to help one another not to be deceived by sin. Because sin is deceptive. It always has been from the very beginning. There's always something about sin that is telling you or selling you something that is not true that you begin to have a greater faith in in contrast to the promises and to the word of God. It's always the case. And therefore, that's why it's so interwoven with our faith and our belief. Do we believe God? Or do we believe the deception of sin? There's never a time where you can say, well, I believe in God, and I also believe that if I do this, this will bring me great joy or great profit or great gain when it's in contrast to what God says. You can't have it both ways. You're either having faith in the word of God or you're having faith in the deception of what sin promises, just as Satan promised Eve that she would be like God in a way and that it would be delightful and that it would be one that would make, that this act would make her wise. We're always afraid that we're going to miss out on something when we're in this place. When we are leaning and we're led by our deceptive hearts to lean towards sin, we're thinking that what God said what he promised, especially for us. Remember, the context of this is not necessarily for people who have never been encountered with the Lord. This is talking to particularly the church. It's talking to people of God. And we've heard his promises. We've heard his word. We know what he has had to say. And often for us, for just about everyone in this room that I know, that whenever we're leaning towards sin, we're thinking that it's going to bring a benefit that is in contrast to the promises of the benefit of what God has said. Or we may say, yeah, it's going to be nice one day when we get to heaven. But right now, (laughs) I will not find true peace or I won't find a rest in my life or I won't have pleasure or delight unless I do this thing. And so we follow to the deception that it'll be a benefit to us. In some way, well, we're called to come together beside each other. And when we have opportunity in sundry different ways to remind one another, that's deception. And you can do this. One way to do this is one, have conversation with one another. If you listen to people's conversations, 
you can kind of, you tend to be able to, to see which way they're going and they're thinking. Some people are harder to have conversations. Some people, it's harder to get them to be quiet. But somewhere in a typical relationship of interaction, you can begin to see what their confession of faith is based upon. And you all know you've been in those situations where you're listening to conversations with someone, and it could be their complaints, the tenor of their complaints, the volume of their complaints, the volume both in noise and in quantity. My kids are probably thinking, wow, Dad, I remember quite a few times this week where I've been hearing you complain. What do you believe? And that's a good question sometimes. And those moments of complaint and those moments of volume, both in size and in noise, there is truly a proclamation of disbelief. That the calling that God has given us to be gentle is actually effective. That the calling of long-suffering is actually effective. Usually my belief in those moments are, no, I need to say what I need to say right now, and I need to make sure everyone hears it. That's going to be most effective, right? That's not according to God's word in most of those circumstances. There are times where it's probably necessary, but my kids know that those times are not then. There is a deception to sin that we need to encourage each other in, away from, when we hear that deception. And we have to ask the Lord to teach us how to do this. But in all of those circumstances, in verse 14 it says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's a lot there. One, to remember that we are brothers. We are the siblings of God's household. But there's if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is a challenging place for us because it is our theology and our doctrine that we are saved by Christ alone. And that is true. And that we are incapable of being able to conjure up faith even in our own lives to be able to even trust in God. But here it says that if we share in Christ, that there is some kind of reaction to that, that we will be holding our original confidence firm to the end. And it's in light of whether we are in sin. One of the things that we hold to today very often is that it's all grace and that you can't get after one another about sin because it's not our obedience that saves us. But I saw a quote just today that I think is well said. It said, it's not hard to become a Christian. It's not hard for us, repentance and faith, but it's hard to be a Christian. Now think about that. Now again, it's not based upon our salvation and our calling to come along beside each other to remind each other of the deceitfulness of sin. Our calling to obedience is for those who already have their hope in Christ and that we are called to continue to hold on to that faith, that it is Christ alone. I saw a video recently that reminded me of the floods in China back about two years ago. Do you all remember that? When China was, you know, not only were we thinking a lot about COVID, but they were getting tons of rain in China. 
And there was this video, and I don't know, it was in some city. There was a sinkhole, and there was all this water coming in, and there were people surrounding it. I have no idea why there were, I think they had already, some things had fallen in that. And it was a woman on the edge of the sinkhole, you know, water's coming around their feet and everything, and all of a sudden the sinkhole expands, and she goes into it. Did y'all see, any of you all seen that video? There were a lot of kind of videos like that, you know, with all the floods and all the devastation. And many people died in China during that time. Well, the woman goes into the, the sinkhole, and if you can imagine, all this water is rushing in. And somehow or another, I didn't really, I couldn't really follow it all, but someone got a rope out to her, and she was holding on to the rope for dear life, obviously. And they were pulling her back out, and a couple times she goes back in. And they're pulling, and they're pulling, and then she finally gets a foothold, and she's, do you think that she's going to let go of the rope? No, <laughs> she's not. She's going to keep holding on to that rope. And it's going to be a, probably a, a very difficult thing to remove that rope from her hand until she's completely in dry land away from that circumstance. Well, here we are called to hold our original confidence firm to the end. The book of Hebrews talks a lot about rest and how we are not fully into that rest yet. That there is this rest. We have this rest because we have Christ. We have the fulfillment of the things that they were looking forward to in the passages that we're about to look at. But we are not fully there yet. That there's still a rest to come. And what we have here is the writer of the Hebrews is just like that woman in China that we have held on. It wasn't, it wasn't our rope, but we are holding on because we, we're being saved and we're told to hold on to that hope and that confidence. Now, she didn't say, can, can you tell me? She didn't talk to the people who were with the rope and say, I, I need to know where I'm going. <laughs> I, need to know, I need to know what the next step is after because I don't know if I want to hold on to. No, you know you need the salvation and you're going to hold on to it and you have this blind faith that these people are going to pull you out. Well, we know that when we come to the gospel of call of repentance and faith, that we need salvation. And that we must acknowledge that we need rescue and salvation from the Lord. And we hold on to Christ as our only hope, realizing that we are weak and full of sin. And that he is the only thing that has strength for us. And we're going to continue to hold on firmly to that confidence to the end. That it's not that if we are obedient that he will give us the rope or he'll be the strength of that that pulls us. It is that we would continue to hold on to that salvation. And then the reflection of that is that we would not let go and decide, well, I'm going to take a swim in the sinkhole for a while. But that's the way the deception of sin is. The deception of sin actually can convince us in that moment of uncertainty, especially when maybe when we dip back down like that woman did, and we're like, whoa, what's going on here? I'm going back under. That maybe, you know what, I, I don't want to trust this rope anymore. I might be able to just swim my way out of this. Or it might actually be more enjoyable to swim in this sinkhole. Maybe where it's going there is a nice pool, a refreshing pool. Maybe with a little, one of those little bars that are at the swimming pools and like a tiki bar. Do they have tiki bars on the side of the pool? I don't know if that's a tiki. You know, we go in and you know, you're still in the pool, but you can drink and everything. And maybe that's where that's going. 
That sounds ridiculous, but that's where we are when we are in that deception of sin. See, we are called, like in 1 Timothy 1.19, hold faith with a good conscience. That we're holding on, but we're truly holding on. And by rejecting this, some of you have made shipwreck of their faith. So when you reject that, it's because you're given into sin. That's the contrast here. It's not a works-based salvation. It's a holding on and it affecting your works. And that your good conscience is that it says, I'm going to hold on to the promises of that rest and not be deceived by sin, that giving in to sin will give greater grace. See, in Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, but so that no one could boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's a great verse for anyone who is dealing with that contrast of, well, you know, if I have to obey God, if I have to trust God, if I have to not sin, then that must be works-based salvation. No, it's by faith in Christ. It is his workmanship, but that we would be transformed to those who are full of good works and walking in that faith and faithfulness. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Last week, I hope I think many of you may not remember much about my sermon, but you remember the song that I told you about, right? The, the who song, right? Who are you? I told you to try to remember that, to remember that, that when you're being tested, to remember your identity in Christ and let the, let the song continue to ring in your head that, you know, who are you? Who do you belong to? Who, what is your identity? So when you're being tested, to remember Christ, to consider Christ, to focus on Christ, to have your confidence in Christ. Dave came up to me afterward and he said, you didn't, I think it was Dave, and he says, you didn't go further with it. You know, he goes, who, 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 who? Was that you, Dave, that told me that? And and I'm so glad that he did that because this next part of the passage is a lot of who's in there. So let us read verse 16. It says, now I want you to count how many times you see the word who, W-H-O, in the final verses here. It says, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were being disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. How many times was the word who? Nine. Nine? Is it eight? Wow. So we need a bunch of homeschoolers. <laughs> I think it was seven. But it could be eight or nine. We'll go back. We'll, 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 let's talk about it later. So there's a lot of who's there. So the writer of the Hebrews is asking the question, who are these people? What was going on? So he's, he's, kinda, he, he's preaching a sermon out of the Old Testament. He's wanting us to remember who. So as we're thinking about who, he's reminding the Hebrews that it was their people. 
All right. He's saying that this belong, this admonishment, this exhortation belongs to you because let's think about your ancestors. Well, because we are in faith in Christ and our father is now Abraham. These are our people that he's talking about. And so he's talking about people like us. That when we think about those circumstances that Israel was going through, we need to not think that this is impossible for us, that we would, be, we would not be foolish to go swim in that sinkhole. It's like, no, 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 no. These were people who were left Egypt led by Moses. They had received the salvation from their slavery. Just like us, we have received the salvation from our slavery. But he wants us to go back. Now, he's using Psalm 95, which is a song about the things that are in Deuteronomy and Exodus and Numbers. And he's to remind us of the fact that their unbelief, which led to complaining, which led to a love of sin, meant that they were not able to receive the rest that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But I laid this out for us here today, and I'm going to go through really quickly. I'm not going to preach on all this, I promise. But I think since the writer of the Hebrews gave this to us, I think it's important for us to go back. And I've, I've, made, it, I've made it really nice and concise for us and clean. So if you have that little sheet that I gave you, we're going to read through some passages in Deuteronomy and Numbers. And if you see how they're organized, you can see why I didn't want you to have to flip back and forth. But the first thing I want us to do is to look at the promise that God gave to his people. Because they were identified as those who were given this promise after they had received salvation. And this was a promise for rest. This was the promise of rest for God's people. And if we are God's people, we are also given the promise of rest. But they had a challenge because they were still they were having to walk through a wilderness. And we are a people of God who are called to walk together through a wilderness today. Now, we know things they don't know. We have a hope that they didn't have. We have someone greater than Moses that they did not have fully. They were still trusting in Christ in a different dispensation. But we're in a better place, but we also have greater results of our faith and greater consequences of our disobedience. But let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8 through 14. We're going to go pretty quickly through here, so follow along with me. You shall not do according to all that we were doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not... Yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord, is your, the Lord your God has given you. We haven't fully entered into that rest. Hebrews is going to be very clear about this. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you will live, safe, live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, that you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, and the Levite that was within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings. 
There you shall do all that I am commanding you. Here we are talking to a people who have already been given the promise of salvation and rest. These are a saved people from their slavery. And he is telling them that they are going to enter into a rest. And then they are going to be able to further in their worship. And it's going to be for those and all in their covenant care. And if you go and look at the fourth commandment, you see how the fourth commandment is one of the most gospel, one of the most gracious commandments. A lot of people don't think of the fourth commandment as being a positive thing when it tells us to rest on the Lord's day and to give that rest to others. But it is one of the greatest promise commandments that there is, that there is a rest. And it is for all those who are in our care in a very covenantal way. I'm not going to go off on a tangent there, but I want you to just see that connection of this promise of rest when we are given this command of rest. But we are told to take care that we don't go off track in this process. To take close attention that we have this tendency to even in our worship to become idolaters. And to start being deceived by sin. Let us go to Numbers 13, verse 30. And so here they are. They're on the edge. They're almost there. They've already had spies go into the promised land. And they were getting all kind of disturbed about what they were hearing and what was going on. It says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Now, this is an important exhortation. Here the people were getting disturbed. They were beginning to become rattled in their faith. And Caleb came beside them, coming along to them, and he called out to them with great confidence. He says, let us go. Let us go up at once and occupy this land, this rest, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, you might say, well, he, he must have had a lot of confidence in himself. No, he does not. I know he didn't because it tells us later what his confidence is in. His confidence is in the Lord. This is our calling right here, people. Here here is one short statement for what we are to tell each other. In those moments when we see our brothers and sisters being deceived by sin, for us to remember, let us keep going. Let us keep going at once. Let us not sit here and complain and doubt, but let's occupy it. Let's keep going to the hope that is before us because we are well able to overcome it because we have seen the Lord work. And do our battles for us. It says, then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able. You know, as soon as he, he said it, we are able. He says, we are not able to go up against this people. For they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land. that they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. As we, and we, so we seemed to them. And then all of the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would it that we had just died in the land of Egypt? You ever tempted when you're dealing with trying to be obedient to the Lord and you're looking at the world and we have so much access of seeing the world with all of our technology today. We can look at the world all at one time. You ever think it's like, you know what? It'd be better if we just died in our sins. We were just, you know, it would be, it would, I, I'd actually, I kind of like the idea of just being like them. 
That's how deceiving it is. You've got to remember these people were enslaved. They were crying out to the Lord in their slavery, but here they're in this time and they've already seen the Lord work and they're thinking, you know what? It would have been better we just died as slaves. Or would that we have died in this, compared to what we're dealing with right now in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? And our wives and our little ones will become us prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Brothers and sisters, maybe I'm alone here. But I know I have said this in my heart to the Lord. Even about my own children. Jennifer's heard me say it. It's like, what's the point of all of this? This is hard. Is there any hope that our children are going to turn out and be able to follow? The, they're all going to fall away. The world's too strong. The temptation of the world, they're too big. These people are so big. There's so much temptation out there. Is there really any hope for my family to be able to enter into the rest that the Lord has promised. Well, the Lord responds in Deuteronomy 1. I think, well, how, don't try to follow the path. Just follow me here for a moment. Deuteronomy 1, it says, And you murmured in your tents, Charles. You murmured in your bedroom while you're laying there at night and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cedars are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim here, there. And then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. Who are we again? Who are you? You are the brothers of Jesus Christ. You are the Son to God. He is your Father. He will carry you, not because you are cute and cuddly and so great, but because you bear the name of His Son. And He will carry you all the way until you get to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe your God who went before you in the way Seek you out to a place to to seek you out to place to pitch your tents in a fire by night and a cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephnuah. He shall see it. And to him, and to his children, 
I will give the land on which he has trodden because he has wholly followed the Lord. Don't let go of that rope. Hold fast. Hold firmly to the confidence in the one who has saved us. His promise is true. Caleb is an example of that. Moses himself, and this is a great admonishment, and even a fear to me that Moses even says, I am not able to even go. Because when God told him to speak to the rock, he struck the rock. I am called to speak the word to you. We are called to speak the word to one another. And we are to trust that, yes, the very command that he's given us in Hebrews to come along beside each other and to exhort one another. We might think, well, if we tell them that sin is deceptive, they may not want to be with us anymore. They may quit coming to our church. If we, t- if we speak of sin, the sins that they are involved in, it's, you know, I can talk about sins that are not related to their life, but if I have to talk about their sins... They may abandon us. But God tells us that coming along beside them, not pridefully above them, but beside them and say, brother, sister, don't believe the deception of sin. Hold on. Let us keep going forward. We will overcome. Because we know that the Lord goes before us and will fight for us. Because... Jesus Christ is the faithful son. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence in boasting of our hope. And to close in John chapter 14, if you want to turn there with me in verse 12, Jesus says to us, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these that he will do. Can you I mean, get that? Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. What? Is he, is he flipping? What is he talking about here? This is Jesus. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Whatever you ask by my authority, whatever you ask that I have promised and proclaimed, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son if you ask of me of anything in my name. I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you hold on to that, if, you, if he is your salvation, you will follow him wherever he goes. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Remember verse seven of Hebrews chapter three. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, this has been magnified beyond the psalms that were sung by the Old Testament people. This has been magnified because now the Spirit is in its fullness in us. That we have the ability to hold on to that rope, to hold on to Christ, that confidence, and to have boasting in that confidence. As we come to this table, we come to this table in this very interesting thing. It's not like anything in the world that we come to the table with confidence 
that we are not confident, <laughs> that we are not able. We come with repentance. We come with undoneness. And it is when we are saying, Lord, we must have your full salvation, then we can actually share in Christ. And this table is also to exhort you, as I will say in a minute, until he returns, to keep holding on to Christ, to keep proclaiming to each other, beside each other. That's why it's called communion. That we are exhorting one another to keep holding on to Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father.